Hello, and welcome back to Give Me Some Truth. I am your host, Obadiah Jones, and for this third season, I am deviating slightly from the format of the last two seasons. Instead of each episode focusing on a different topic or discovery, this entire season will be devoted to the analysis of a single recording. That's right. This season will be different, but I promise it will be both insightful and revelatory. So this season, we are diving deep into a recording made in 1968, but it is maybe surprisingly not a Beatles recording, at least not directly. It was, however, created during a Beatles recording session. In the two-part episode about Yoko Ono from last season, I teased a few snippets from this recording, but I think it deserves more attention and to be discussed in its entirety. The recording is not readily available, at least not all of it, and is rarely used as a source which is unfortunate because it's an important primary source made at a pivotal time in the Beatles' story, and specifically in John Lennon and Yoko Ono's lives. To help unpack and discuss this alluring artifact, I am joined by three very special guests. First, I am pleased to welcome Chip Mattinger back to the podcast. Chip and his co-author Scott Riley, who wrote Lennonology Volume 1, A Scrapbook of Madness, joined me for the Season 1 finale to discuss the recording date of Two Virgins. Chip is also the co-author of Eight Arms to Hold You, the solo Beatles compendium, with Mark Easter. Both books are available from Lennonology.com. Second, we are joined by Aaron Torkelson-Weber. Aaron is an adjunct instructor of American history at Newman University in Kansas and wrote The Beatles and the Historians, a singular book that provides a critical overview and analysis of how the Beatles' history has been written since the 1960s. She takes on all the era-defining Beatle authors, Hunter Davies, Philip Norman, and Mark Lewison, to name a few, to examine their biases, errors, and value to Beatles historiography. You can find Erin's book on Amazon and more book reviews on her blog, beetlebioreview.wordpress.com. Alphabetically last, but certainly not least, we are joined by Robert Rodriguez, author, host, and creator of the Something About the Beatles podcast. Robert's books include the two Fab Four FAQ volumes, Solo in the 70s, Revolver, and he is currently working on a new book with previous guest Jerry Hammack, who hinted about it on our Dear Prudence episode in Season 1. I am a regular listener to Robert's podcast, and it is actually thanks to Satby that I first heard interviews with both Chip and Aaron, and bought their books. So it is a pleasure to have them all here together on Gimme Some Truth. You can listen to all episodes of Something About the Beatles and find all of Robert's books at somethingaboutthebeatles.com. When the Beatles convened at EMI Studios on the 4th of June, 1968, they were three days into sessions for what would become their eponymous double album, The White Album. This was the third day, 
and the only song they had worked on so far was one John had begun writing in India, called Revolution. On the first day, they recorded 18 takes of the song, with a rhythm track of John on acoustic guitar, Paul on piano, and Ringo on drums, all recorded to track one. The last take, number 18, was chosen as the keeper and ran to over 10 minutes in length. As John, Paul, and Ringo had jammed the long coda of this take of Revolution, Yoko Ono sat near John in Studio 2. As the take appeared to be nearing its end, Yoko switched on a tape machine to play back a Two Virgins-esque recording that she and John had previously made. This tape consisted of Yoko speaking metaphorically about being or becoming naked, with background sound effects provided by John and a haunting record playing in the background. This is the piece Awel Hamsa by Syrian-Egyptian composer, musician, and film star Farid al-Atrash, released in France in 1965, although it sounds older. John's acoustic guitar mic picked up this tape, and so it made its way onto take 18 of Revolution, starting around one minute before the end. Maybe it's not what, there. What? John's double-tracked lead vocals and Paul's bass were then superimposed onto the remaining three tracks of the four-track tape. They were obviously in an experimental mood because on John's track three vocal, a mellotron is briefly played using the flute setting. And on John's track two vocal, Electronic noises and a distant background vocal from Paul were recorded at the same time. Just after John declared, Okay, I've had enough. Paul sang the chorus of Love Me Do, in much the same way that John had overlaid She Loves You onto the outro of All You Need Is Love the previous year. Since all four tracks were now full, the second day's work, 31st of May, started with the tape reduction mix to free up space. All the instruments were combined onto track one of a new tape, and the two lead vocal takes were combined onto another track. Onto the two remaining empty tracks, John, Paul, and George recorded shooby doo backing vocals. John decided to record his part while sitting or lying on his back on the floor. In some photos from the session taken by Tony Bramwell, George and Paul are standing around a microphone. In others, they are sitting. 
Paul's latest dalliance, Francie Schwartz, is also wearing headphones and may have contributed to these backing vocals as well. Not a word about her. It was a fairly relaxed session in general, with model Twiggy, Scottish singer Lulu, and Davy Jones of the Monkees all dropping by. Which brings us to the 4th of June and the third day's work on Revolution. More backing vocals were recorded onto tracks 3 and 4 before the now full Take 19 tape was reduced again to a new Take 20. Not all of these backing vocal ideas were kept, including one that repeated Mama Dada Mama Dada over and over again. Two tape loops were also created to be mixed in later as they had done on Tomorrow Never Knows two years before. The first loop consisted of what Mark Lewison describes as high register sustained ahs by all four Beatles. And the second was a high A note strummed rapidly on an electric guitar. Both loops were used for a rough mix at the end of the session, but only the guitar loop found its way into the master mix of Revolution 9. But that comes later. In the meantime, the rest of this day was spent superimposing organ and more drums onto Take 20. George tried to join in with an electric guitar part, and in many of Leslie Bryce's photographs for the Beatles book Monthly, George can be seen playing his colorfully painted Fender Stratocaster. A suitable solo part over the outro was settled on, but ultimately unused. George's final electric guitar part was then properly recorded on the 21st of June, after a horn section had been added. After this day's work on Revolution, it was decided fairly quickly that the full 10-minute version would not be used, and everything after the 4-minute, 15-second mark would be faded out. This then opened the possibility of using the sound effects and John's wild experimental vocal for another purpose. Thus, Revolution 9 was conceived and expanded into a sound collage that incorporated elements from the Long Revolution Coda, but was by no means musically structured by it. In addition to the recorded work the Beatles committed to tape on the 4th of June, Yoko recorded over an hour of her thoughts, observations, and feelings into a tape recorder during this session. It is this recording that we will discuss this season. Yoko was now a month into a romantic relationship with John and attending every session by his side, but as you will hear, was not totally secure in her place as John's new mistress. This recording allows us to hear her commentary on their relationship in its early stages, current events in their lives, and because her microphone picked up a lot of what was happening during the recording session in the background, Yoko's recording gives us a first-hand, fly-on-the-wall experience of attending an early White Album Beatles recording session. For all these reasons, this tape is an invaluable and historical primary resource. One of Aaron Weber's strengths as a historian is in source analysis, so I began our discussion by asking her to evaluate the recording. Additionally, we all used a pre-existing transcript for our study that was far from perfect. Also, just a note that Aaron had to be outside on her porch for the recording, so there is a bit of background noise. 
Well, I had never listened to the tape in its entirety before, and one of the things that struck me is really how little coverage it had received in Beatles historiography, because I tried to go through and look through my notes and also through my memory and try and remember who had even mentioned it, let alone covered it in any detail. And in the books in Beatles historiography, there's really very little about it. Chip mentions it and Peter Doggett mentions it, but those are the only two that really came to mind. So the first thing that struck me as a historian was this has not been widely available. Certainly the entire tape isn't widely available, and that's an issue. But also we have two sources that are telling us an edited version of and a transcribed version of what it says. We don't get to hear the actual conversation or her actual discussion until now. And that's really one of the things that I found most interesting is how limited our accessibility to this has been really up to this moment. Uh, John Wynn's book goes into it in uh, a lot of detail, his second volume. So the audio version of Yoko discussing or talking on tape, that is a primary source. Again, although interestingly enough, not one that is widely available, although edited versions of it are available and segments of it are available. So that is a primary source, and we'll return to other issues surrounding that in a minute. The transcript, which I believe is more widely available, is a secondary source. And I believe we're going to discuss some of the issues with uh, disagreements, perhaps, with the transcription. And I think Chip mentioned he doesn't know who constructed the transcription, who wrote it out. I wish we knew who came up with the transcripts. The initial one? The Kenwood blog has one. So that in and of itself is very interesting because I believe the transcript is more accessible than the audio recording, but the transcript, I believe all of us have issues with it. And that really demonstrates one of the problematic areas with having a secondary source. And transcription, translation is one of those things that can make something like the audio recording itself into a secondary source because it's being interpreted or filtered through someone else's impressions or interpretations. And that's really what transforms this into a secondary source for those who are reading the actual transcript. In history, one thing you do is that in order to examine primary sources properly, if you're studying ancient Greece or German history or Russian history, you have to become fluent in the language so that you can read the primary sources yourself and you're not reading someone else's interpretation. I was going to say, I feel bad because I've put this transcript into circulation because we were going to talk about it. And I just, you know, hey, Obadiah, save yourself the trouble. Here, here it is. And I had not gone through it yet to verify uh, it, its completeness. Um, there are lots of ums and ahs and pauses and all of that, that that I would put into my transcripts that don't exist here. Chip, how is it that we actually have this recording? Uh, this tape first appeared on the Vigatone Bootleg Revolution, uh, nearly 24 minutes of it. Uh, fast forward, there was about 67 minutes of it that finally appeared on Kinfons and Chaos, but 
there was a minute and 10 sliver that from the middle of it that wasn't on the Kinfons to Chaos disc. So we've got an incomplete version, but fortunately the bit that was left out appeared on the first bootleg. So um, a lot of people have, have edited them together to be a complete tape, which would run about 68 minutes. So, and how did Vigatone, because it had to have leaked out of the Dakota somehow. So. It, it would have come out of the Dakota somehow, and uh, but it never featured on the Lost Lennon tape. So I, I wouldn't necessarily tie those two together. Um, could have been a private collector. You know, I can't say what, what his sources were all the time. Some of them are obvious, but but that one, you know, it, it did come out of the Dakota. Yeah. And if anyone would know, you would. I, I wonder if it was uh, some of the stuff that got spirited away by Fred Seaman. It just took a long time to surface publicly. I know nothing specific about that. And uh, might as well go through it now. There, um, There's another five minutes of the tape that I've heard that isn't in circulation at all. And it comes from uh, Saturday, June the 1st, when uh, she and John were uh, being driven around by Pete Shotton to look at houses. So there's a... You know, it, it's very evident that they're in the early stages of their relationship. Uh, you know, oh, John's trying to quit smoking and I'm trying to quit, you know, trying to, you could think back on that, trying to better yourself for for your new potential partner. Um, but but that's kind of neat. And, and, you know, one of the discussions, if I remember, is uh, between hash and regular marijuana and Yoko likes hash, but John likes regular marijuana. So it's, it, it's, it's enlightening. Uh, it's too bad that it's not out there. And it's different from this in that it's mostly both of them discuss having a discussion. Mm-hmm. And it's from a different day altogether, but it's part of her, you know, diary tape. As far as you know, did she ever do something like this again? There are some other open mic tapes uh, of them talking, uh, one without Yoko's. Uh, she wasn't aware of it, that John was rolling tape, and they were having a huge fight. And it's, it's you know, kind of invasive, I feel, to listen to something like that. But, you know, as a historian, you know, I'll take anything we can get. You know, it's just another piece of the puzzle. And when is that one from? That's undated, but I would put it during their time that they lived in Montague Square. Oh, so that that early? So it's it's pretty early as well, because she's they're upset. Uh, they're they're trying to divvy up the the things out of Kenwood, and Yoko's going through her divorce with Tony Cox. So it's kind of John griping about having to see Tony all the time, and Yoko doesn't want John talking to Cynthia. But John wants things out of Kenwood. You know, he wants some of the carpet and and things like that. So it's it's just kind of a back and forth uh, that that brought both of their divorces heavily into the conversation. And I think there's a to, to get really down this rabbit hole. There's a quote in the Look interview. You, you know the one I'm talking about, Leonard Ono Inc where John mentions how Cynthia and Lillian pulled up the carpet and just left the tax. And that was kind of a, a, a message to them. 
so that to, to get back to, to dating that tape, I would say it's, it's probably from September of 68. Oh, well, what's re- oh, it's really fascinating is, is she thinks John wants her just for his art. Just so that he can exploit her art. And he basically comes back and says, I don't want your fucking art. So it was it was kind of heated, you know, the, just the, the whole divorce element being brought into this conversation kind of sent it south, I think. Yoko's audio diary from this day is not a continuous recording. She would record for a while and then switch it off as she either finished a thought or was interrupted. The Beatles session ran from 2.30 p.m. until 1 a.m. the following morning, and Yoko's tape gives us just over an hour of the ten-and-a-half-hour proceedings. Well, with that background information, we'll leave you for now. In the next episode of Give Me Some Truth, we start combing through Yoko's recording from the beginning. I have released the first two episodes for this season together so that you can get stuck in. The following episodes will be released weekly as usual. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow on Facebook, Instagram, and X for more content. I'm Obadiah Jones.